Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Thursday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, a new initiative of the Atlanta Bicycle Coalition looks to reduce injuries along roadways considered high-injury networks. Moreland Avenue, Martin Luther King Jr. Drive, Cascade Road, Ralph David Abernathy Boulevard, Hollowell Parkway, Campbellton Road, 10th Street, Lee Street, Joseph E. Boone Boulevard, and Metropolitan Parkway. That conversation coming up in just a moment. But first this, more than 2 million Georgians have now cast ballots for the November general election. According to the Secretary of State's office, 1.2 million have taken advantage of early voting. And more than 800,000 have returned their absentee ballot. Over in Fulton County, officials say there are now 23 elections warehouse workers who have tested positive for COVID-19. This is compared to the 13 workers from last week. Now, Fulton Elections Chief Richard Barron says the county is recruiting more staff to make up for those workers now in quarantine. And elections officials say they've put a number of COVID prevention and mitigation strategies in place. Now, that includes treatment of the warehouse, improving ventilation, and daily rapid testing of employees. The team has also relocated some elections operations to the Georgia World Congress Center, where there is more space for social distancing. This comes as the number of cases in Georgia as a whole continue to rise. From Emory University, infectious disease expert Mary Beth Sexton told WAB News that she hoped Georgia's COVID numbers would have dropped down before the upcoming holiday season. The fact that we're already trending up ahead of that is a huge problem. And I think what we really worry about is that if we have flu cases start to circulate at the same time these COVID numbers are going up, it just is going to put so much more stress on our medical practices, our emergency rooms and our hospitals. And at the time of this broadcast, 343,750 COVID-19 cases in total have been confirmed here in Georgia. Active coronavirus-related hospitalizations, they continue to remain flat. In total, 30,676 have been hospitalized, and of those, 5,734 were ICU admissions. In total, right now, the number is 7,704 deaths have been recorded since March, and we always attribute these numbers to the State Department of Public Health. Now, to improve Georgia's numbers, the White House, in its latest coronavirus task force report, makes some recommendations. It cites the state continues to see community spread in small social gatherings where people become less observant of public health recommendations, such as wearing masks. The report indicates people need to remember that friends and family members might be asymptomatic, but still be able to spread the coronavirus. This is Closer Look.
Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. We know the COVID-19 pandemic has contributed to many economic instabilities for families throughout the nation and, of course, right here in Atlanta. Many folks are calling what's going to happen after the pandemic a tsunami as it relates to housing affordability. Many people are already struggling to make ends meet, struggling to pay things like the rent, of course, and mortgage. And it's triggering an ongoing need for financial assistance and resources. But back in August, the Board of Commissioners in Cobb County approved $4.8 million to provide grants to renters and homeowners in need of assistance through their County Home Saver program. And we'll learn more about it because the need was definitely out there. Joining me now to talk about is Ernest Davis, program developer of the Cobb County Home Saver program. Ernest, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Rose, thank you so much for taking time out to get this message out to people. Let's talk about the response first. When you all made the announcement and when you all were ready to start helping people, what was the response like? The response was overwhelming, um, which only um, seeded the the importance of um, really doing this program. Um, there were a number of people as it relates to mortgages that applied. I think within a few days, we had over 500 mortgage applications. And then we, about three weeks later, we opened the program up for renters as well, too. Mm -hmm. And the renters window has actually been closed due to the overwhelming number of people who applied. We had over 3,000 applications that applied within a matter of five days on the renter side. How many did you all anticipate to actually help? We anticipated being able to help 400. But I will say that the county has gone back and reassessed the program, um, and they've uh, found some other dollars. So now we're going to increase the funding to at least be able to try to accommodate the applicants that are in queue that we had suspended based on uh, not having enough funding. So the good news is is that we're in the process of uh, uh, working through those applications to determine who all is eligible and to get confirmation on documentation so that we can try to get those people approved. Let's back up for a moment, Ernest, because here in the Atlanta area, we're always talking about housing affordability issues. How would you assess, let's talk about renting now uh, first, how would you assess renting affordability in Cobb County? Renting affordability in Cobb County is actually um, um, much more in line with national standards than Atlanta. Atlanta is the city that Everyone wants wants to be in, and unfortunately, when we had the housing crash back in 2009, um, uh, we had a, there were a number of REITs, which are called real estate investment trusts, and they came in and they bought many of the homes that had been lost. And instead of putting those homes back into the market for people to be able to purchase as affordable housing, mm-hmm. many of those funds kept those houses and um, uh, converted them to rentals. So what has happened is there is a squeeze on rentals in the Atlanta metro area, in the city area, rather, and uh, that has caused the amount of rents to go higher. But in Cobb County, what we're finding is that the average rent that people are asking for assistance for is around the $950 range. Mm -hmm. So that tells us that when you get outside the city of Atlanta, um, the rents tend to be a little bit more in line with national. What about uh, rents for low-income households? Rents for low-income households are challenged. Um, Mm -hmm. And I am sorry to say that because um, many people are in America, uh, especially in the Atlanta metro area, 
are dealing with what's called uh, mortgage poor or house poor, which means that they can barely have enough money to pay their rent, and there's generally not enough money left over for all of the other essentials that's needed, utilities. So there's always this juggling act that tends to happen in the average American's household as to what's going to get paid. And that is a challenge that um, the mortgage industry is seeing as a challenge. Uh, hopefully, the lower rates are, are, are incentivizing people to go from renting to home ownership. Um, and that is something that is very important because a lot of people qualify for home ownership but don't realize they do. The assumption is is that uh, they have to be making uh, a, a lot more money than, than they're making and that if they don't have down payment money, then they can't get into a home. The truth is there is a l- number of down payment assistance programs that are available pr- for people, especially those first-time home buyers, that can get them into uh, homes. I've seen some down payment assistance programs as high as $25,000. So people should not assume that the, the option they have is renting. In many cases, someone who's paying a $1,200 uh, rental payment might be able to qualify for a home that can get that mortgage payment down to eight or $900. Interest rates are just so low. But is the issue for most people the credit or credit history? The, the credit history is an issue, but in many of these programs, there is a program that applicants can go through that can raise their credit score by going through credit clinics, by going through... Um, uh, writing letters to the, uh, uh, the the credit reporting agencies to really clean up the credit, you have to take the necessary steps to look at your credit. Because in many cases, there are a number of things that are on your credit that should not be there. And if you challenge those, most credit bureaus ha- uh, have a number of days. I believe it's um, 30 days to get in writing that they have to do the research And if they don't get the research done in time, then that has to come off of your credit. So many people could clean up their credit by simply challenging some of the things that's on their credit that's not accurate. Let's move into your assessment of home ownership in Cobb County. So the home prices are are, are steadily increasing, and, um, and I think that's everywhere in every metropolitan city. And that is because there is um, the inventory is just not available. Because when the pandemic first came and as an onset, many builders stopped building. There were a lot of people in the workforce that were not able to help the supply chain. So it's kind of put a, a pinned, pinned up need as it relates to the houses being available. And that within itself is driving up the prices of houses. Mm-hmm. In many cases, when houses hit the market everywhere, uh, many of those have multiple contracts within a few number of hours of them hitting the market. Last, and that drives the prices of homes up. We looked at, I believe it was about $289,000, the typical home value of a house in, in Cobb County, which is, for some people, they think it's great. For others, they're like, what? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get back to the Home Savers Program, because the, the reason why we wanted to take our listeners through all of that is to present the snapshot of what housing affordability looks like in Cobb County. So with this Home Savers program now, let's talk our listeners through it. As of right now, you can just help folks with their mortgages. You said you're going to reassess how you can help renters, but right now it's just for folks with mortgages. How does it work? Yes. At, uh, so if, if you are a homeowner and you are residing in Cobb, and if you have been affected by COVID-19 and you have a COVID-19 hardship, then you can qualify for up to $4,800 in free 
mortgage assistance. This is a grant. It is not a loan that has to be repaid. It is free money, providing that you live in Cobb County, you are the homeowner, and you have uh, incurred some type of COVID-19 hardship. So let's talk about what the COVID-19 hardship includes. Sure. Let's say if you have been laid off of work and you do it after March 1st due to COVID-19 or your employer having to scale back. So you've had a reduction in income of 20% or more. And if you can show documentation of that, then you are someone who qualifies for this program. If you or someone in your household tested positive for COVID-19 and you had to stay home and be quarantined or you had to help take care of a loved one, then you would qualify as a valid COVID-19 hardship. If you have been on any type of assistance, unemployment assistance, during post-March 1st, due to an employer scaling back or your business having suffered some challenges, then you qualify for this program. Um, So basically, if you've had any type of COVID-19 hardship post-March 1st and you're having a challenge with paying your mortgage, then you can qualify for this program. How many folks have already applied and how many have you all been able to help, Ernest? So we've had over 1,500 applications apply for the mortgage assistance. And uh, those, and then the number that's eligible is approximately 860 as, mm-hmm. as it stands now. That program is still open. There is still funds available. And I really encourage people to go to CobbHomesaver.org to look at all the eligibility criteria and the documentation that will be needed. Um, I, I will say this, Rose, is that a lot of people are not, unfortunately, some homeowners are not applying for this program because their assumption is is that because they're in a forbearance program, and a forbearance really is a temporary mm-hmm. halt that the bank gives you on not having to make payments. Some people are assuming that, hey, I don't need those funds because my bank is working with me. The challenge is, is that a lot of homeowners don't realize that when the forbearance period ends, that lender has the right to come and ask you for a lump sum payment mm-hmm. of every payment that you did not make during the forbearance period. The banks are not required to work with the homeowners with a payment program. They could give them a, a deadline in essence to say, hey, either pay up or you could stand to go into foreclosure. And I think it's important that people look at the fine print on their forbearance agreement and to try to get a forbearance agreement in place so that you understand after the forbearance period what your bank is going to require of you Um, because there are some options that are available that people can tack the payment at the end of their loans they can re-amortize their loans and do a refi um, or they will work with a separate payment plan there are some options available but now is the time to work those options out and that's I'm happy to say that one of the things that, that is available through the Cobb Home Saver program is free mortgage counseling by a certified HUD counselor. Now, Ernest, let me ask you this. What if you are a landlord, you own your home, and you have a renter who is not able to make payments? Can that landlord seek assistance because they do own it or they have to live in that home? They have to live in that home. So the landlord cannot seek assistance Um uh, through through this program. So if the, say, for example, if the renter uh, had applied for the renter's side of the program, mm-hmm. which unfortunately that window for the renters is now closed, then the renter could have applied. So there are still some programs out 
in within Cobb County uh, through an organization called Star C, where landlords can apply mm-hmm. directly on the behalf of their renter to get assistance. Uh, but I think those are limited to primarily apartments. This $4.8 million, was this part of the CARES Act, or did you all, were you able to take this out of the county budget? No, definitely not. It is it's definitely, it is out of the CARES Act. Uh, and that's why the, these requirements, they have to be COVID-19 impacted because those funds that were earmarked by the government that went to a number of counties, it has to be COVID-related. That's why the very first eligibility criteria is that it has to be a valid, verifiable COVID-19 impacted household. That's step one. And then after that is is how the, then we can begin to look at if you're eligible or not. And what's the average time for the application process? Are you all able to turn things around pretty quickly for homeowners? So the application process really heavily depends on the homeowner themselves because there's a number of there are a number of documents that the homeowner has to submit to include proof of ownership, um, proof of delinquency, mortgage statements. They have to produce um, proof of income because there are some income limits as well. Uh, so there are documents that they have to provide. So once the homeowner provides all the supporting documentation, it has to be 100% of the documents must be submitted in order for a file to be considered. Uh, the application has been fully submitted once everything is submitted, I should say. So upon receipt of 100% of the documents, the turnaround time is averaging about three to four weeks because we have to submit the requisition to the county, then the county reviews, then submits funds to uh, the intermediary, which, which is home for USA, which is, which is a certified homeownership counseling and uh, homeownership agency. And then the funds go directly to the lender. They do not go to the homeowner themselves. The mm-hmm. funds go directly to the lender to be posted to, to that homeowner's account. And as we wrap up, Ernest, for listeners in Cobb County, if they want more information about the Home Saver program, where do they go? CobbHomeSaver.org. Again, that's CobbHomeSaver.org. All the eligibility criteria is there, all the information that's available. Uh, they can even apply from the website, and uh, they'll get uh, the instructions once the application has been submitted as to how to return documents to us. And again, you may not know this now, but at some point you all look to open up this process for renters again? We hope to be able to open up the process for renters again. We have got some increased funding to be able to process the applications that are in suspension now due to the limited funding that we had. Once we're able to determine the eligibility status of those that are pending, then if we anticipate funds will be available um, and, and we have enough funds to fund those that are eligible, then we will reopen the window again at the same website, which is cobhomesaver.org. So if you are renting, then I recommend that you periodically go to the website to see if the window has been reopened. Ernest Davis is the program developer of the Cobb County Home Saver Program, and we were talking about a assistance program for homeowners in the county. Ernest, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. We'll have links to everything on our website as well. Thank you. Rose, thank you for your service. Thank you. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. 
The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. According to the Georgia Department of Health, in an average year, there are between 800 and 900 accidents involving bicycles. Right here in Atlanta, just last year, Mayor Bottoms launched the Action Plan for Safer Streets. The plan involves creating more than 20 miles of safer streets by the end of 2021. And now the Atlanta Bicycle Coalition is launching a new program, Community Advocates for Safe Streets. It's a program designed to bring people together to combat high injury networks. We'll get into that in just a moment. So joining me now to talk more about the program is Sagara Jones, the Community Engagement Coordinator for the Atlanta Bicycle Coalition. Sagara, welcome to the program. Thank you for having us. I really appreciate it. We're excited. Let me ask you this, because I've asked this question to a lot of folks when it comes to mobility and transit issues and and how do we make sure we work in the needs of pedestrians and and bicyclists. This is your assessment. Is Atlanta a bicycle-friendly city? Atlanta is trying to become a bicycle-friendly city. Um, We are in the stages of becoming a Vision Zero city. Uh, the city has, and the mayor has committed to becoming a Vision Zero city. And Vision Zero is a strategy to eliminate all traffic fatalities and severe injuries. Um, and not only that, it also wants to increase safety, health, and equitable mobility. So it's not just let's cancel, you know, traffic fatalities. Mm-hmm. It's how do we actually become safe and healthy, equitable city? which allows mobility for all people in all modes of transportation. Before we get into the strategy for addressing the high injury network, let's talk about also through your organization's lens. Does it begin with bringing everybody together? We always say, let's get everybody at the table. And then we say, well, let's make sure everybody can be heard at the table. Where do you begin? Mm-hmm. You begin with communities. They should really have a say-so in what it means to have safe streets in their own neighborhoods. They are part of that civic process because they're usually the most effective advocates for their own communities. And the assets that community members bring can make all the difference when it comes to determining policy and securing resources. So we need to create a deliberate space where neighbors, whether they have a high level of knowledge about the civic process, specifically as it pertains to mobility and transportation, or are just a concerned citizen that wants to be able to safely walk um, to their neighborhood park, there should be a deliberate space where citizens have the opportunity to connect, to share resources, and then to also enrich their knowledge well, we started this conversation and I asked you if Atlanta was a bicycle-friendly city. Is Atlanta a pedestrian-friendly city? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that the Atlanta DOT recently presented a an update about sidewalk coverage in the city to the city council. Mm-hmm. Right now, 45% of the city has streets, I mean sidewalks, I'm sorry, which means that 55% of the city needs coverage. And part of the issue is that survey does not include state routes. 
even though the local municipality is responsible for those sidewalks. So how can we add those to the inventory? Because many of the streets on the high injury network are state roads within the city limits. For example, um, for example, because <laughs> you know, I get emails about this. Donnelly <laughs> Hollowell. Mm-hmm. Right. Donnelly That's Hollowell Parkway. With no sidewalks. But now I'm told that they're working on it because they were tired of me talking about it in the community. <laughs> I understand. But, you know, that's the whole point. That's back to the community members being the best advocates. Right. Like, let's make the noise. Let's make people understand what's happening. Well, let's give a snapshot for our listeners who may be wondering when you talk about a high injury network. Um, most definitely. So we are looking at Moreland Avenue. Martin Luther King Jr. Drive, Cascade Road, Ralph David Abernathy Boulevard, Hollowell Parkway, Campbellton Road, 10th Street, Lee Street, Joseph E. Boone Boulevard, and Metropolitan Parkway. Most of those streets are in southwest And in uh, communities that are have a higher percentage mm-hmm. of people of color, black folks? Correct. And the lowest uh, percentage of sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And the, and the most uh, transit ridership and the lowest car ownership. All of those metrics that you just mentioned, those characteristics of a community that have a high injury network. So we are watching communities that are lacking the resources that they need. And so our advocacy has been about making sure that when we're talking about the distribution of transit and transportation funds and dollars, when you're looking at um, determining who gets funding for projects, that it's through that equity lens, um, Mm -hmm. that we're looking at those that need those resources the most because of that historic disinvestment. So with this Community Advocates for Safe Streets program, how will these initiatives fit into what the city of Atlanta and all the other stakeholders that will be coming to the tables? What do you all fit in? Gotcha. So what we're actually trying to do is you have many communities that are, are fighting multiple battles at one time. So we are forming, we have our community advocates for safe streets program. It has three different components. The first is our community advocates network. That's for people across the city with the goal of having a network of Um, mobility advocates in different city council districts throughout the city, in every city council district, um, representing every MPU so that they can can connect um, and share information um, and also get um, some some insight from us and our partners um, on what it is to be a mobility advocate. Um, And then we have from that our street committees Um, And our street committees are where people are actually going to be able to put in some really good work. This is the first time we're actually doing this. We were um, funded by a energy foundation grant. And so what we're seeking to do is broaden the participation in the civic process, as well as train up advocates. So if you're already one, we're gonna amplify your voice. If you are starting new, then we're going to help you get to the level where you can confidently share recommendations and provide insight to other community members. So what we're doing is creating street committees for Moreland Avenue. Mm -hmm. And 
Donnelly Hollowell Parkway, mm. number one and number five on the high injury network list. Mm. The committees will consist of eight to 10 community members. We have an enrollment form out now um, where people can sign up to participate. And we're looking for equitable and equal distribution along the corridor of residents. So for instance, if you're on Moreland and we already have quite a few applicants from the north end of the corridor, we'll, we're actively seeking those from the south end of the corridor because we're looking at Moreland from Hans all the way down to 285. And then we're also looking at Hollowell from Northside Drive out to Chattahoochee. So mm-hmm. we're looking at the whole corridor Um, collaborating with existing groups, NPUs, neighborhood associations, working groups that are already established with the goal of creating these informed and ready-to-go advocates to add to this network of people ready to, to fight for change for their community and to be informed about what that change really, really means. And so anyone that participates in the street committee program will receive uh, four trainings from us, and then they'll start next year um, in January doing their own monthly meetings. Mm -hmm. And the goal is at the end to provide a uh, presentation to our local transportation agencies with their safety recommendations Mm -hmm. from the the community. Because someone needs to be an advocate for the community if they feel like their needs aren't being heard by maybe their council member. That's what this program is all about. We are about empowering those that want to to become advocates or already are and giving them access to um, partnerships and relationships that we may have, um, as well as introducing them to others that may have resources or partnerships um, that can be of benefit to them. In the end of it all, the communities are the ones that can hold their representatives accountable And so we're looking for ways to support them in that. Sometimes we have to find ways within whatever policy we have or whatever uh, code is out there, knowing how to work with that in order to get what we need. If there's a project that says for Georgia Department of Transportation, I learned that a quick turnaround is actually 18 months. So in our yeah. world, that's a very long time. Yeah, you can, but, have, you can have a lot of injuries and tragically some deaths in 18 months. And that's not to pick on the DOT because I know they have a lot of projects, right. but that's just the reality right. of it all. You heard the number that I gave coming into this segment. So, Actually, part of our new mission and vision, we're not, while bicycling is an integral part of what we do, Um, We've actually expanded our mission to include pedestrians and those riding transit, and we're looking for the city to become, um, you know, this thriving, livable space where everyone can walk, bike, and roll. And that's a good way to end this conversation because that's what we, that's how we started it in terms of what should the city look like in terms of being safer streets for all. That's motorists. Pedestrians, bicyclists. Let me ask you this though: Do you think motorists get a bad rap? <laughs> Sometimes they do, but you know, it's it's also about human behavior. People people get a bad rap rap in general. Mm-hmm. So it's on us and those that are engineers and designers that know how to design the spaces in order to um, 
help assist with those behaviors that you know are 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 kind of inherent. You see a wide, empty road with smooth surface, and you're gonna want to speed. It's it's you know as part of human nature. So why not design the streets so that they're safe, so that people move more slowly, so that they're able to be used by motorists and those that are walking and um, those that are using um, wheelchairs. There are ways to use design and engineering in order to um, mitigate some of those human behaviors. Sagara Jones, the Community Engagement Coordinator for the Atlanta Bicycle Coalition, and we're talking about their new program, Community Advocates for Safer Streets. So, Gary, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate a good conversation. We appreciate you having us on, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.